Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. John Gajar will join us to discuss SyncThink. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Back to the Grok Science Show. Well, I'm very pleased today to have on the program Dr. John Gujar. Dr. Gujar is a innovator, among other things, is a clinic professor of neurosurgery, director of the Stanford Concussion and Brain Performance Center, and president of the Brain Trauma Foundation in New York City and Palo Alto. He's also part of SyncThink, uh, which has developed a uh, device for eye tracking and the diagnosis of neurological disorders. And Dr. Gujar, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thank you for having me. Well, it's fascinating a uh, career you've had looking at a number of aspects of neurologic disorders following concussion. Here's how your interest in this area began. Yeah, well, um, you know, I've always been interested in traumatic brain injury. Um, I founded the Brain Trauma Foundation, which does the national guidelines for severe traumatic brain injury. Uh, I always say there's two parts of neurosurgery. There's neuro and then there's surgery. <laughs> and uh, we often get... Uh, caught up in the surgery component, but the neuro part's really important as well. It's the brain, what's the brain doing? And um, so thinking about that in terms of what the brain's function is, and a major part of it is actually keeping up with the outside world or prediction. And uh, because the outside world's moving or you're moving with respect to it, and you have to synchronize with information in time and space in order to process it. And that can be a very difficult function. I mean, as I'm speaking, words are flying through through the air, and you sort of have to pick them up according to the cadence of my voice. Um, and there's other things you have to synchronize, where which really involve the end of the day, we label that calling calling it attention, how you pay attention, and attention is selecting information in time and space so you can process it and then act upon it. There's two things going on: one is attention, and then processing or your window on the world, and then processing. And so that synchronization is really important to attention. And I was thinking, well, how do, you, how do you measure that? So you need basically a sensory motor system, something where sensory information is coming in, and then you interact with it, and you measure how well you interact with it. So the eyes are an incredible sensory motor system. You have the vision, which is the sensory part, and the motor is the, the, the brain moving the eyes so that the, they foveate or the, the information lands on the fovea part of the eye. So you're synchronizing with information in time and space. You can measure it very accurately with, with eye movements. So uh, what we did was we, we uh, had a stimulus, which is the dot going around the circle. And your brain goes, okay, it's moving around the circle and it's moving at a known velocity. I can predict that. And so the, the brain moves the eye, so it lands right on the target or the fovea. You foveate uh, on the target. And so you can measure that very rapidly because uh, the camera takes uh, uh, your eye positions uh, multiple times, and you know where the target is. You can line them up and see how well you synchronize. So the test essentially uh, is 30 seconds. It's actually two 15-second tests. 
So very quickly, you can find somebody's uh, ability to synchronize. And the main component is the jitter or variance of your eye position compared to the target. And uh, so we did it in a lot of normal people. And then we applied it to people with mild traumatic brain injury or concussion and found that there was an abnormal signal in most of the people. And I should say, and that's probably a little discussion further on about what is a concussion. Uh, there's no accepted diagnostic criteria for it. So uh, we can get into that. But I think for right now, my main interest was really how do we, how do we measure attention? That was what really drove me to develop this technology. What are sort of the limits of the test here? Yeah, so, you know, uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, neurosurgeons sort of classify it on the level of consciousness. So severe is somebody in a coma. They're unresponsive. Pretty easy to detect that after uh, a brain injury. And then the middle one we call moderate, which are people that are kind of sleepy, but they don't stay like that very long. They either wake up or they end up in, in coma. And then the third category is mild, where people come in often after head trauma and they're awake, but they have complaints. And so, uh, so it's mild, moderate, and severe, kind of a, not a really good classification, but um, it was really designed for people that are, um, had severe traumatic brain injury. So the mild part is, um, you know, we, we used to just say, well, you know, we'll do a, a, a CT scan. And by the way, you know, 90% of the imaging is, is normal. It looks normal. People come in with a head injury and they're complaining of inability to focus, dizziness, headaches. And, uh, and you know, the CT scan's normal. We just send them out of the emergency room and say, well, you get better soon. Uh, or, you know, you have a headache. And sort of a, one thing that's going around the country is, you know, you have headache after head injury. You should have brain rest and body rest. And we sort of have a national epidemic of, of especially kids that aren't uh, exercising and getting out there. We're finding that early exercise promotes recovery, which is another uh, part of this. Uh, so, you know, concussion became a big deal after uh, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were, were um, you know, up to 30% of our troops came back with um, signs of mild traumatic brain injury. And uh, then then it got picked up in the NFL and, and football, and, and it's, it's really prevalent. And so the problem is we don't have an accepted diagnostic criteria for it because it is sort of a broad uh, label concussion. Uh, what it used to be mild traumatic brain injury, now we're calling it concussion. The broad label, but we're finding that there's certain impairments associated with it. So um, I'm working with um, a group nationally. We're funded by Department of Defense uh, here at Stanford uh, to come up with an evidence-based classification, uh, not only of severe traumatic brain injury, but also of concussion. We're very, working very closely with uh, the group at Pittsburgh, uh, Mickey Collins and Anthony Contos. And the team members, which uh, they, they brought together uh, a lot of people from across the country and said, you know, what do we see very often in people with concussion? And they see certain things very commonly. They see uh, eye movement problems. They see vestibular balance problems, migraine, cognitive fatigue, uh, mood disorders. Just about everyone has sleep problems. And, of course, neck whiplash is a big confounder. And so we're calling this the sort of subtypes of concussion. And we're looking right now to, uh, we're soon to be published papers showing that these, uh, these subtypes are very prevalent in people 
who have concussion compared to baseline or to normal populations. I think eventually that the, the definition or diagnostic criteria of concussion will come down to those subtypes. But for right now, it's very broad. It's based upon people complaining of certain kinds of symptoms. You go to one doctor, they may say you have a concussion. Another one say you don't have a concussion. And so it's very, it's a very mixed up field right now. But I think it'll, it'll come into focus, uh, excuse the pun, uh, next year. And, and we'll have uh, not only subtypes, these subtypes are important because we can measure things or we, we can hone in on these subtypes. And we have targeted treatments that actually can help people. So if they have, you know, uh, dynamic vision problems uh, or vestibular balance problems, we can target them and improve them. Not all, you know, and a lot of these things cross over. You don't, you don't have just one. Like you can have problems with uh, eye movements and with um, vestibular balance problems and migraine and, and cognitive fatigue and so on, or you may have only a couple of them. So you have to find out what a person has and then you target therapy and you start early exercise. And uh, we've been doing this, you know, at Stanford, and now we're going out to the Pac-12. And we find it, it's, it's really terrific because, um, and I have people coming to my clinic, you know, a year or two out who, are, who have these problems that haven't been identified. And if you target the, the, the treatment, they actually get better very quickly. So I think it's very important for us to target it. I think, you know, early exercise is, is really a key part of this which needs to be, uh, you know, the population needs to be educated about it. So, uh, so that's where we are right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that by next year, this whole area of sort of mild, moderate, you know, bad concussion, chronic concussion, all these terms will sort of uh, become uh, more clear and have uh, measurable objective criteria and targeted treatments. Think there's anything particularly special about the visual responsiveness as opposed to some other sensory motor system uh, for, for testing this? Or would you expect that maybe different types of brain injuries might yield different kinds of results in different uh, sensory motor systems? That's an excellent question. So, you know, the human brain is really visual. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some people say up to 60% of the circuits in the brain is sort of guided towards visual orientation. So it's really, the way I like to look at this is um, if you look at the brain, it's really in the past. Everything we sense has already happened. You can never be in the present. It's impossible to be in present. So the only way to, to really interact in the present is to be in the future. So you have to be in the future to interact in the present, to be aware of it in the past. Sort of, a lot of philosophers have dealt with this, but uh, not too many neurologists. And, and it's, it's important because um, the world outside is moving or you're moving with respect to it. So that by the time you get the information, the sensory information, it's already happened. You can't hit a tennis ball if you, if you just do it when you see it. You have to swing your racket before the ball gets there. And a brain is doing that all the time. So the visual system, I think, is a great model for, uh, for seeing how well you're in the future, basically. How well you predict, how well do you anticipate? Lots of words for it, synchronize. Um, it, it's a great, and, and, but behind it is um, our, our networks of the brain that not only drive um, the eyes, but other parts, other sensory motor systems. So your question's very good. You know, is it particular to the eyes? 
No, but the eyes are actually, you know, a great uh, metric for measuring how well, how well it's, it's working. And a lot of this is, is the cerebellum. The cerebellum is sort of uh, known for timing, and we always thought it was just sort of timing movements, but now we find that a good part of the cerebellum is connected to the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex involved in cognition. So, um, you know, there's, there's some very exciting work being done now in the cerebellum in terms of um, coordinating uh, not only uh, motor processes, but also cognitive processes. And so um, as far as the timing issues you see with, with, with eye movements, you can see similar things with, say, balance or with uh, reaction times. And, and, but, you know, the, the trouble is it takes a lot of measurements to come up with these metrics. And so, but with eye movements, they're very quick and you can get lots of data points very quickly, very accurately. And so I think it's, it's, it's going to be the best system in terms of picking up how well you synchronize. Tell us a little bit about your company, why you decided to start it, and how widely adopted now are your tests in terms of looking at brain injury? Yeah, so, and, and you know, it's FDA cleared for eye tracking impairments. It's not for uh, diagnosing concussions. I always like to say that doctors make the diagnoses, not devices. And so it's, it's a tool, and it helps you uh, differentiate um, uh, different causes that can contribute to a concussion. Uh, you know, sometimes the eye tracking could be normal, but maybe the vestibular balance is off. Again, maybe you have a neck whiplash. Maybe a person just has a migraine headache. But, you know, you have to measure and exclude certain causes. So this helps you to decide if there's an eye tracking impairment uh, with a concussion. Obviously, uh, the military has put a lot of funding into this, and, that, and it's kicked it off. It's put over $30 million of funding, and we thank the Army for all its support on this, on this um, technology. And at first we had it, you know, and um, you, can, you can get one of these desktop eye trackers, they're very expensive. Military said, no, we need something more portable, accurate, uh, reliable, it's very quick. We also need to know normative values. So we did, um, we did a 10,000 person study, 5,000 at Fort Hood and 5,000 athletes where we're publishing on that right now. We also, they're concerned about sleep deprivation. So we, we, uh, we looked at soldiers who are sleep deprived and they had a, a different signal in terms of their eye tracking. So we can differentiate fatigue or sleep deprivation, which actually is being used more and more by uh, uh, high performance sports where they actually can look at um, sleep deprivation and how well somebody synchronizes and look at performance, which is very interesting. And I think that's ultimately we're going to go towards is brain performance and um, and seeing where that drops, whether it be from fatigue or um, or concussion or other causes. We also looked at ADHD on and off medication. We saw a signal there. Also, the attention develops, and you see it developing in young kids. It matures around puberty. Uh, but there's certainly development, developmental aspects to eye tracking. So it has broad use. And so the technology um, was at first in a research mode. Um, it was spun off as a, as a company uh, 10 years ago to really commercialize it. And it was really uh, funded a lot in terms of the clinical trials through the DOD. And it matured. And, you know, being part, the company actually made their own VR headset with built-in eye trackers, and um, 
but then uh, you know the 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 VR people like Oculus and then Samsung and other people came out with VR. So we put in eye trackers in there, and uh, we're hoping that the future will be that the platform be widely available through consumer products because you're you're seeing like with gaming you have to turn your head uh, to to change uh, the view, and so a lot of these companies, um, you know, Facebook, Apple, Google have bought. Uh, eye tracking companies so they put in the cameras inside their VR headsets and eventually they'll move your eyes and the scene will change. Um, if you look at Magic Leap, it's an AR company. They're putting in, they have eye tracking in their in their system. So I think in the future, you'll see consumer platforms that have eye tracking in it and it'll just be a question of the metrics, you know, what, what metrics are you interested in measuring? And I think that, you know, at that point, we'll see neurology moving out to the general public and you'll see where we'll be able to assess people and it won't be just people like with head injuries. It'll be for, you know, you want to go into a sport, but you've got, you know, one person with very good eye tracking and the other one not. Which one do you want to pick to go in the sport? Or maybe the one who doesn't have good eye tracking, maybe it's because they're fatigued or, um, you know, they just baseline don't have it. Uh, we're about to publish a paper showing that uh, people with baseline with poor eye tracking have an almost threefold increase in concussions. So you can see that the synchronization or this attention metric actually has a lot of benefit uh, for the public in terms of reducing injury, improving performance, and so on. So I don't look at it as this being, you know, I don't, I don't think there's, there's no product that's going to come out there. So green light, red light concussion. I mean, that's, it's ridiculous. You're, you're not going to, you're not going to get this. Anyone who claims that I would be very suspect of it. What you want is a toolbox with things that are pretty prevalent that we see in people with head injury that may incapacitate them um, and, and may, may make them prone to, to further injury. You want to find out what those are, identify them and certainly keep keep people back from sports and even driving for that, for that matter. Uh, you know, so I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing to identify. Um, but again, it's, it's one, it's one tool in a toolbox. Aside from uh, this issue of diagnosis, do you have any advice for prevention? So what can people do out there? Yeah. And by the way, the PAC 12 has adopted uh, the sync sync platform. So all the schools in PAC 12, now have the technology they're baselining all the athletes and they'll be using it going forward and on the platform it has not only the uh, eye tracking but also vestibular ocular reflex uh, balance and uh, other tests that people use to assess uh, concussions and um, I think it's going to be really useful going forward they can use it on sidelines they can use it in clinics after somebody suspects of having a concussion Um, and by the way you know if you look at sports, almost every sport has concussions. I think football. Um, if you look at NCAA, actually wrestling is one of the one of the leading causes of of concussions. And so, and I see concussions in swimmers, uh, you know, water polo, uh, you know, sailors. I mean, it's very hard to avoid it. It's just it's just out there. I think the main thing I would say to um, to prevent concussions is to have good attention. So, and one thing that really affects attention is sleep. And we find that far too many athletes, especially student athletes, uh, are sleep deprived. And so it affects their academic performance and their uh, sports performance. So I would recommend that that we have uh, uh, better sleep hygiene. 
uh, before we, uh, we, we go through sports. And of course, uh, protective equipment's important. We should all know that helmets don't prevent concussions. They're good for uh, scalp and skull fractures. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, the neck is, is producing the concussions. Of course, that's a, that's a topic for another radio show. I was wondering if you have some final words uh, about TBI in general. Yeah, I just think, I think uh, for TBI in general, I think people should be hopeful. I think that there'll be better uh, protective devices going forward. I think that just in general, we need to um, have better attention metrics. I think eye tracking is going to be the one, I think, with the the hardware platforms coming out in the consumer space in the future that will be readily available to many people. And I'd be generally optimistic. I think for the message should be, you know, please exercise. I think, you know, a stationary bike is great if you've got some dizziness after a concussion, but we know that early exercise promotes recovery. All right. You were just listening to Dr. John Gajar. He is a board-certified neurosurgeon, clinic professor of neurosurgery at Stanford, and he's the founder of SyncThink. Dr. Gajar, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok's Science Show. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.